bankruptcy, divorce laws, disability, probate, there are so many classes on the path to practicing law. Unfortunately, most schools fail to instruct you on the business of law. This is Solo De Facto, a show dedicated to discovering the success secrets that exist in the reality of running a solo practice. My goal is to find the one thing that separates each guest from the rest to give you practical solutions to create a thriving firm. Solo De Facto is sponsored by Back Office Betty's, trusted virtual legal receptionist. Welcome, everybody. Uh, we're here today with another episode of Solo De Facto. I'm really excited to be talking to a financial wizard. She's a highly skilled strategic planner and the founder and financial guru at Core Solutions Group. Chelsea Williams, thanks for being with me. Hey, I'm super happy to be here with you and your audience. Awesome. Well, let's just get um, straight into it. I want to know from you, what is the one thing that you wish attorneys knew about running a successful law firm? You know, it seems to be like the hot topic. I, I do a lot of presentations and webinars and podcasts, and I love, love doing them. And people that come and speak to the, the legal industry, there's this recurring theme that I keep noticing, and it's what law school didn't teach you about running a law firm. And it seems like the answer to that is like everything. <laughs> they didn't teach yeah. you anything you needed to know about running a law firm because running a law firm means being an entrepreneur. And I think that with attorneys, especially attorneys undergo such intense training and schooling for, you know, four years. And it's almost like they retrain your mind to really think uh, like an attorney. And what that can do is put you inside of a box. Right. And when you're an entrepreneur and when you own any type of business, success is outside of that box. And so I am in the financial space. So I'm the founder of Core Solutions Group, and we do outsourced money everything for law firms. So bookkeeping, uh, budgeting, forecasting, even highest fractional CFO. And to answer that question from my perspective, which is money, it would be that law school didn't teach us financial literacy. In fact, high school, junior high, and grade school didn't teach us financial literacy. And the way that I see this translating for attorneys is that, you know, they're almost put on this pedestal. They have accomplished passing the bar, which is huge and a lot of work. And so people look up to them. That's one of like, when you're a kid and you're in grade school, they're like, what do you want to be when you grow up? It's like doctor, attorney, right? Like police, one of like the staple core professions that people aspire to, um, but that it's very difficult to actually achieve. And so, and I've even worked with professionals. I worked with a tax preparer once that was like, oh, I assumed they would catch and know that because they're an attorney. There's this, this belief that, that we have as consumers that attorneys are like these uber smart humans in like every department. And so for attorneys to, to know and kind of feel that vibe, um, you almost put yourself on a pedestal, right? And so what I find is that a lot of attorneys that come to us with what I call financial baggage, because they were never taught, they carry a lot of shame around not understanding how to manage their cash, how to keep the books. A lot of them are out there trying to DIY their accounting through QuickBooks or something. And they feel a lot of shame and they're, they're kind of a little hesitant to open up and be like, here's my financial mess. Help me. <laughs> right. 
So to answer your question, um, what did law school not teach you about money? It is anything like anything else. And it's really financial literacy. That wraps up so much, I think, for anybody, but especially attorneys who are held to such a high standard and don't get all of that additional business sense um, taught in law school. It feels like almost weird. Like, why wouldn't they teach that? (laughs) Because so many people go into business for themselves as an attorney. Um, So I'm curious, who are the most important or what is the most important um, thing to consider in your finances? Are there special like people that you need in place? Is there anything that you are um, specifically looking for when you're first trying to help somebody set up their finances? Yeah, absolutely. You know, when I first went into business for myself, marketing was one of the areas that I was completely ignorant to. I'm like, I'll look for one person and that one person is going to build my website and post on my social media and bring me leads and do all of the things, right? Well, I quickly learned that what I was looking for in one person was actually an entire marketing team of five, (laughs) but I didn't know any better, right? Because I was brand new. And so the same thing is happening when it comes to money in a law firm, because law firm owners aren't necessarily familiar with the different people and the different roles and also what is expected of them still, um, there tends to be some confusion. You know, for example, there are, there are five key financial players that I talk about. The first of which is your bookkeeper. The second is your tax preparer. Then you have a CFO. Then you have your banker then you have your financial planner. It's like five people in one, right? But what happens sometimes is that law firm owners don't know any better. And so they are looking to the person who is their bookkeeper to advise them in the capacity of a CFO role. And so I wanna talk about just for a moment, who all of these people are and what they bring to your financial department in your law firm. So number one is your bookkeeper. Your bookkeeper does the coding of the transactions. Your bookkeeper basically classifies every single transaction that goes through the bank, that goes through your credit cards, that goes through any loans, any financial institution. And at the end of every month, when they go and finish all of that fancy jazz that they do in QuickBooks, you get financial reports. That's your bookkeeper. All the way through to getting those financial reports, which is the income statement, the balance sheet. Those are the two main ones. If you're really advanced, you get a budget variance report, which I'll talk about a little later. But that is the extent of the bookkeeper. So then we get into your tax professional. So this is the person that understands from those financial reports. Now we're taking it a step further, right? This is beyond the realm of most bookkeepers. Now, sometimes you can find a bookkeeper, accountant, tax preparer that does all three. Um, but for purposes of what I want to convey in this conversation, I'm going to split these up into three people because that's not always the case. So your tax preparer is the person that helps you with your quarterly estimated tax deposits, right? Your tax preparer can advise you on your entity type and what is the best structure for you based on your goals and prepares your end of your tax return. And that's what the tax preparer does. It's most people are used to working with a CPA 
There's also a designation called EA, an enrolled agent. Basically, the difference is a CPA is licensed at the state level, an EA is licensed in all 50 states, can file in all states that require an income tax return. So that's bookkeeper and your tax preparer. Then we have the CFO. Now, in a lot of cases, in most cases with the law firms that I work with, they are their CFO. Until you get to about that million dollar a year revenue marker, you are your own CFO in your law firm and in your life. And the CFO takes all the financial data, the metrics, the KPIs, right? The key performance indicators and makes sense of them and gets really good at being able to anticipate the future, to be able to forecast revenues, to anticipate downtimes. You know, Q1 is slow, December is slow because everybody's focusing on family and holidays. The CFO is in tune with the financial ebbs and flows of the law business. So that's the first three. So then we have the banker. I like talking about the banker because it's one that like everybody forgets about, but nothing proves the importance of this relationship than COVID. Because when COVID hit, everybody went into panic mode and reaction mode, right? What was the government's way of helping? What was everybody trying to get when COVID hit? The PPP loan or the Paycheck Protection Program. Where did they have to go to get the PPP? The banks. Now I guarantee you, people that had an existing relationship with their business banker, which is a thing by the way, if you call your bank and say, hey, I wanna to talk to a business banker, that's who you need to create the relationship with. But when that happened, the people that established and nurtured that relationship versus the people that did not got their money first. Heck, some of them didn't even have to fill out their own applications. Their business banker was so good. They were just like, I got you. It's in, you'll hear from me next week. Yeah, they know what you need already. <laughs> They're like, here we go, done. I talk to you all the time. So I already know all of the answers to fill out the forms, right? Everything. Yes. Yeah. And the ones who didn't, either know that they had a business banker, they could establish a relationship or didn't nurture that relationship. I mean, I saw people hopping from bank to bank to bank, putting in multiple applications and they're just like, whichever one gets to me first. And then they ended up jamming the gears in the system because they put in multiple applications and like delayed the process on their own because they didn't have that established relationship. And so that's the one that goes unnoticed, um, but can prove incredibly valuable, especially in a time of need. And these are all relationships. These are all humans that you should be forming a relationship with and investing time in. I mean, take your people out for lunch, send them good business referrals, ask them what you can do to help them. These are back and forth two-way relationships. A lot of times what I see is, and the book, the E-Myth Revised, like illustrates this so well. The E-Myth Revised talks about your first hire, essentially going from the mechanic to the manager, to the entrepreneur. This is like the evolution of the entrepreneur. When you first start, you're the mechanic, you're doing all the things. Then you hire someone and it illustrates the story of Sarah. Sarah owns a bakery and Sarah's first hire, which we all kind of either are tempted to do or do. I'm not, I'm not exempt from this. We bring on our first hire and we're like, oh my God, help, just take it off take it all, all the things, do whatever you want. As long as it gets done, I don't care. Right. 
they throw it all and they just expect it to be done and they don't manage and monitor it, right? That is a mistake. That is not how we scale. That is not how we own our business and our metrics. And so that's why I like to talk about these key financial players, because there are things that are expected of you as the business owner. This is not something that you can just chuck at somebody. You should be asking questions. If you don't, you should understand from a high level how to check and balance your team hundred percent, right? So the last role, the last of the five key financial players is your financial planner. So this is like your retirement planner, your investor. And here's what I tell people. Cause what I get a lot is I don't make enough money to plan for retirement or I can't afford to save enough. And like, here's my thing. It doesn't matter how much money you're making and it doesn't matter how much you can afford to set aside. If it is 50 cents once a week, like what matters is establishing the habit, the habitual action of when you receive, you set aside to invest because there is nothing more powerful that will get you to wealth than compounding interest. And that is what an investment is, is it's leveraging compounding interest. So I tell people, even if you don't have 150,000 sitting around ready to invest, find a financial uh, advisor, a financial planner who you are a good fit with. Because again, these are humans, these are relationships. Not every financial planner is going to suit you. And that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you or the person across the table. It just means you got to find a good fit. There's a lot of options out here. Abundance mindset, right? Find someone that you have professional chemistry with, that you feel comfortable asking all the things that you should understand in order to really optimize that relationship. So those are my feet, my, my key financial players that I believe really every business owner should know about. I love that you've broken it down like that because there you're right. When I think of somebody handling the finances, I'm thinking like, okay, the bookkeeper is doing all of this or the bookkeeper is the same thing as the CFO. And I don't, I think that's probably a mistake that a lot of people make. And I also thought that people didn't actually, like, I thought it was an old fashioned thing to have a banker relationship. My dad has a relationship with his banker. And I've just thought that that was the weirdest thing. Like, I don't know the people at my bank, you know, but I'm also not running a business like my dad is um, at the same scale. And so I've always just been like, that is so weird that you go hang out with your banker, <laughs> but it, it makes sense. Cause then when he needs something, the bank guy is there for him and can help him. And it's pretty much just like a handshake. Like, yeah, you need this. That's what I got this for you. It's really cool. So my next question for you, based on what you just talked about is which one is the most important if you can't hire all five? Yeah. So that is, that's a really good question. If I had to choose one, I'm going to call it the bookkeeper because it doesn't cost to have a banker and it really doesn't cost to have a financial planner because you should be looking for somebody who doesn't charge. Uh, there's a, there's a name for it. Um, and it's, it is, uh, fleeting me right now, but there is a name for your financial planner where they have to invest and be compensated based on doing what is in your best interest. Um, so it really doesn't cost money to work with a financial planner or a banker. So those two, you can go get right now. 
I'm going to say that the easiest one to outsource and the one that makes the most sense is the bookkeeping because bookkeeping and accounting is three classes in college. Like you didn't go to school for it. There are like really, you know, you can take uh, Udemy has some good courses, but unless you're willing to learn a new craft, typically if you haven't undergone limited schooling, you're not going to understand how to properly keep books. And what this amounts to is like, we've all heard the phrase garbage in garbage out, right? If you're yeah. DIYing it and you haven't taken accounting 101, you're probably shoving garbage in and your financials are garbage. I'm just going to be honest. I'm just going to be honest. And garbage out equals an inaccurate tax return equals inaccurate business decisions made by the CFO, who is probably you. And probably the most important role for you to really understand because a CFO gets all of those things and makes sense of it. It The CFO takes the data and translates it into business decisions that are in line with business values and the mission and the vision. That makes sense. So if you're uh, making a mistake in your bookkeeping or you miss something or something's not reconciled properly, it can affect the entire business negatively because you're basing decisions off of that. Absolutely. So what is um, the next most important? Would you say it's the CFO or the tax preparer? I would say it's definitely the CFO. Uh, okay. So a couple of things that the CFO is also responsible for that I want to talk about because they're really important and they're also not being done in the law firms that I see between that, that brand new to half a mil in revenue. But the difference is from half a mil to a mil, they're doing this. And that is budgeting, forecasting, and cash management. So there's this uh, cool law out there called Parkinson's law. And Parkinson's law says that for every increase in revenue, expenses will rise to either meet or exceed that increase in revenue within four months, I think it is, unless a specific force is placed against it. So it understands human nature, more money, more problems, mm -hmm. right? The more money we make, the more money we feel like we have to spend. So we upgrade the car, we upgrade the house, we do all these things. Well, when you own a business, there's this thing called seasonality. <laughs> <laughs> so the fluctuation in revenue is a real thing. It's not super steady and super reliable. It's not a paycheck at a corporate level, right? It's not that easy. So what the CFO does is it recognizes this and it puts that specific force in place. And what that is, is budgets and cash management. So the budget side of things, and let me just say this, you know, there's a book out there called Profit First by Mike Michalowicz, and that goes into the cash management side. Mike Michalowicz has a quote in his book that I absolutely love. He says, profit is not an event. Profit is a habit. And so budgeting is the same thing because budgets lead to profits. Budgeting is a practice. It is a craft. It is something that you don't just create a budget and leave it and never look at it and never change it and never study it and analyze it and learn from it. A budget, first of all, you know, a lot of people get overwhelmed when, when doing a budget for the first time. And my suggestion is, and what we do is look at your historical data, take averages to start. Just, we'll just keep it simple. 
And then some law firms are like, well, I'm contingency fee based. So I don't know when my next payment is going to come and how much that's going to be. An average is still the best place to start. So look at your last year, take the average of whatever you reported on your tax return and start there. Right. So then we get into you have a budget. Now, when you have a budget, the key is in revisiting the budget and holding yourself accountable and making adjustments as you get better. Because the first time you ever make a budget and try to stick to it, I'm giving you permission right now to suck at it. That's okay. You can suck. That's fine. Because the goal is to learn what you suck at so that you can get better and eventually be able to forecast 12 months into the future and say, well, I know that my down months are December, January, February. So I'm going to make my budget forecast a little lower that month. Here's what I plan for the year. Here's my bottom dollar. I'm a CFO. So I know what that translates to in taxes, right? But to get to that level takes time. So give yourself grace and give yourself permission to suck and get better and visit that budget quarterly in the form of a budget variance report, which if you have the right version of QuickBooks, you can put a budget in there. If you have zero, it'll give you the budget without charge anymore like QuickBooks. If you can't tell I'm biased to zero. <laughs> zero is awesome. <laughs> um, and so, you know, get good at budgeting, get better and better and better. It is a journey. It is not about the destination. Your business is always changing and evolving. Therefore your budget and understanding how to do that for your business is always going to change and evolve. And then the second piece to that is cash management. So we have a budget and then we have cash management, right? That's where profit first comes in. That is the specific force. One of the specific forces that you can put into place so that your expenses never exceed your revenue and that those are always in check and that habits are become a normal, recurring, consistent thing for you. Um, so I'm not familiar with how many of your listeners know about Profit First. Have you heard about Profit First before? Are you familiar? Yes, so Back Office Betty's uses Profit First. So yes. we are very familiar. <laughs> yes, so we can both sit here and like geek out over Profit First and how great it is. So. Yes. If you haven't read the book, definitely go read that. So would you consider, because as you're speaking, I obviously don't own a law firm. I don't run a law firm, but a lot of this resonates in personal finance. Would you say that running a business's finance is similar to running your own family's finances? I'm really glad you asked that question because the answer is absolutely yes. You know, we talk about, there's this mantra out there that we subscribe to business is business and personal is personal. When you own your own business, business is very personal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those lines get crossed, right? Business equates to personal. So, um, yes, these strategies and methods can absolutely be implemented into your personal life. And like I launched a, um, what I call law firm money mastery membership this year, and the goal of that membership is to really teach law firm owners how to be the CFO of their business and their life. Because here's what happens. Money is one of those things where your personal habits are going to spill over into business. So whatever is going on with your business is guaranteed to be happening personally as well. So then it would make sense that by learning and mastering money in your business, it is also going to increase the quality of your personal finances too. Yeah, that makes sense. And I was thinking if you have, if you already feel comfortable with your personal finances, then that might make it less scary to go into managing your business finances because it's not that much different. Um, 
So I had another question and it law it fled from me. What um, area of finance did you unexpectedly realize you're really good at? What what was surprising to you that you like about what you're doing? So I discovered it by complete accident. Um, but I've been doing this for over 12 years. Okay. okay. So I was at I was vice president at a tax and accounting firm here where I live, and I've been running Core Solutions Group for about five years now. And at one point, about three years ago, I started thinking, I think I was probably trying to figure out like who my ideal client was, what that avatar looked like. And I started writing it out and realized it didn't have as much to do with where they were at numerically, like they'll say, oh, is your client brand new to half a million or do you only take law firms over a million? That was a little less relevant to me than what I realized, which was the psychology behind the people that I was working with. Um, and I really enjoyed working with women, but, but one thing that I realized specifically with women is that they had a little bit more limiting beliefs when it came to money. And so I started thinking about it and I started researching it. And I looked at like the historical conditioning that women have undergone and I found some things, I found some things. So I actually launched a sister company called LP3. It's lp3.me where, you know, in core solutions group, I focus on law firms and LP3, I focus on women because one of the things that I noticed, and this is with men and women alike are the limiting beliefs that we really all have around money because of one reason or another for women, it was just historical conditioning. And I took a personal passion to that. Um, but it was the psychology of the people and the business owners that I was working with and being able to help address that, bring enlightenment to what part of their thinking. For example, when I, you know, when we go to install profit first, into a law firm, it's usually those contingency fee-based law firms that have the most, they're the hardest to convince that this is gonna work for them because they're so used to cash flow volatility. They're like, nothing is gonna work. I am a unicorn. No budget is gonna help me plan, none of the above. But once installed, it actually works better for them than some of the more consistent cash flow models because if you think about it, Let's say you get a giant settlement, right? And it all goes into your income bank account. When you disperse that between your other expense bank accounts, you are padding those accounts for months to come. When has a PI firm ever had that type of peace of mind when it comes to cash flow than to know that payroll, OPEX, tax, and profit are covered for the next six months if I don't make a dime? Definitely. <laughs> that is a lot of peace of mind and something that is probably, um, I actually relate this to when I used to be a server and I'd get cash every single day. And if I wasn't like specifically tracking and setting it aside, it's like, where did, did I make any money this week? And then, but then when I would track, you know, I, okay, I made, um, $250 on this shift and then keeping it in one central area until the end of the week and depositing it like a paycheck. Suddenly I wasn't losing track of my money. And I feel like that would be something so easy to do in a firm where you're getting those giant settlements that just feels like, oh my gosh, I have all this money. And then not paying attention to where it's going. Yes. 
Yes, 100%. And that ties into, you know, we can't measure what we can't see. If you're not looking at your financial reports, if you're not looking at your budget variance, you have no, here's what we hear a lot, right? You probably hear this too. Oh, it's in my head. Oh, I just know it's all up here. But yeah. then, you know, nine times out of 10, when you extract what's in a business owner's head and flesh it out on paper, they're missing things because that's too much. It's too much to keep in your head. You've got to get it out visually so you can see it. Definitely. So, um, I kind of want to move on a little bit and get to know more about you and how you got to where you are. I know you mentioned it a little bit, but what's your story? How did you end up here? That was another complete accident. Uh, I'm an eighties baby. I own all 35 of my years. And when I was in high school, you know how you take the test of like, are you going to be a doctor or an attorney or an accountant? I did not check the accountant box. That was not on that test for me. Um, my generation, we were graduating at a time where baby boomers were coming of age, where they were all shuffling us into healthcare. They were like, we need people to take care of all the baby boomers. So you, you generation, go do healthcare, go be a nurse or be in a hospital or do something in that realm. So I was like, okay, I'm going to listen to they. And they said that I need to be in healthcare. So I enrolled at a community college here for healthcare administration. My second semester rolled around and there was this class on my schedule that was for accounting. And I had heard of accounting before, but I had zero idea of what it was like. It had to do with computers or numbers or computers and numbers or something. I was not even sure. So I made the mistake of interviewing other students about what accounting was because of what every last one of them, I don't know how I just got this lucky. Every last one of them hated it, had to take it more than once or completely change their major because of it. Wow. <laughs> so I was a little terrified going into this accounting class and hearing all negative feedback, yeah. but I gave it a shot. And that turned out not to be a mistake because me and accounting got along like BFFs. It totally made sense to me. It was one of those things where 80% of people hate it, but 20% of people, it comes to them incredibly naturally. And I was in that 20%. So I, I, my teacher, my accounting 101 teacher was my first mentor. I loved it so much that I landed a job at an e-cig company who had just moved from his garage to a downtown office because that was back when e-cigs were blowing up. And I applied for this job because I worked at Pearl Vision in the mall and they were going to close on my birthday. They were going out of business. And so, oh, wow. <laughs> I applied for this job and he called me up and I'm on my way from school to the mall. So I am in like my tank top and my Aeropostale sweatpants. And he calls me and he's like, Hey, when can you come in? And I'm like, well, I actually have a little bit of time now, but I just have to warn you. I'm in my sweatpants. And he's like, I don't even care. Just come in. And I go and interview for this office manager position. And this guy's like, I don't know what I need. I just need help because overnight my business has blown up and here I am. And so I was there for a couple of weeks before I realized that his accountant was really dropping the ball, which I found out was pretty common. Um, and I was like, Hey, I've taken one accounting class. Can I give it a shot? I don't really know what I'm doing, but I really want to learn. 
And long story short, it made sense. I created his systems from the ground up. We grew to nine states at one point. We had a ton of employees. Uh, and that is when we brought on the local tax and accounting firm to review my work. I sought them out and I found them. And I said, hey, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm giving it my honest shot here. Will you review me and make sure that I'm doing a good job? And eventually it got to the point to where the owner was like, I don't even know why you bring this work here. You're doing a great job. Matter of fact, you want to come work for me. <laughs> and I was like, wow, yes, I do. Uh, and so that's how I got into it. That's amazing. I feel like sometimes the best things happen on accident like that. That's exactly how I got into marketing was on accident. Just a few things happened perfectly and I fell in love with it. And here I am. But, um, so you know, I think that's the best. I mean, it's when, you know, sometimes we try to over plan and sometimes all we can see is the next one or two steps in front of us. But if we can learn how to like follow almost our intuition and our passion, I really, really believe you got to have passion and purpose in what you do. And it sounds like your journey was kind of the same. Like you felt that passion, you felt that purpose and trusted yourself to follow it. I love that. Yeah. I actually was on the way to, um, a hospitality career. I had been a server for many years, worked my way up to restaurant manager. Then I was managing a country club and I thought I liked it. And I thought that I found like what I was going to be doing. And then one day I was so burnt out that I didn't even know I was burnt out that I just like, couldn't do it anymore. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, what am I going to do now? Because this obviously didn't work out how I expected. And so then some, you know, other things happened that led me to marketing and I can't see the same thing happening because here I am working in a way that I'm like creative, but I'm also not having to be talking to people all the time. And, um, like everything that I don't like, is taken away from like marketing. I don't have to deal with any of it. So I do enjoy that. Um, so what is, is there anything coming up for you this year that you're really excited about? Yeah. So we are doing a lot of new things in core solutions group. You know, when I came to this space, like I said, I have to be operating from a place of passion and purpose. I can't fake it until I make it. That's not a thing I'm capable of. And I recognize the importance and the value of finding people like you and I to work with who are truly passionate about what they do. And if you're listening to this and you're not truly passionate about what you do, I really encourage you to dig deep because people can sense that. They can sense when you don't actually like what you're doing. And even though you own a business, it feels like a job. Um, and so we're doing a lot of really super exciting things in 2022. If you follow us on Facebook, Core Solutions Group Inc., we are having a couple of workshops a month where I bring people in. Some of them I host myself and I talk about, you know, my area of expertise. But like today, we just did one with Jordan Ostra from Legal Ease Marketing, where he came in and walked us through like our client avatar. And he's got three more episodes that are coming out for the rest of this year where they're very sequential and inevitably help you to build kind of like a, um, a whole plan. Um, but we have a lot of really awesome workshops coming up. Uh, I mentioned my membership that I built. So I realized in this space, cause I really enjoyed it. When I first started, I started working with people one-on-one -on -one. and it worked and we grew to a place to where it was no longer humanly possible for me to meet with everybody one-on-one. -on -one. 
And so this is my way of creating a one-to-many engagement so that, cause I'm here to make an impact. I'm here to change lives. I am here to help people understand the financial literacy components that were not taught to them in school, but are required in order to grow and scale. And so in order for me to come and make the impact I've set out to make in this space, I had to develop something that was a one-to-many. And that is Law Firm Money Mastery, which you can check out on our website. That's awesome. It's true that getting your financials right can change your life. And so I love that you're trying to do that for so many people. Are you um, using any really cool technology in your business that we should know about? Yeah. So, uh, you know, when it comes to accounting software, I want to speak on this because I do see people trying to go like the free route. And it's one of those things where like what got you here won't get you there. And a lot of people are on like Waze or FreshBooks. And I'll just say that if you want financial clarity and financial foresight, those free platforms, what they're really lacking is the reporting functionality that you want in order to develop your CFO hat. So if you are not yet on a QuickBooks at a bare minimum, but preferably zero. So zero X E R O is an accounting software that hit the U S from New Zealand. They had conquered like seven other countries before they even got here. And when they got here, you could see QuickBooks online quality go, oh crap, we have competition. That's actually good. Increase. <laughs> so QuickBooks works. Zero is awesome. And if you are like really gung ho, there are a number of really good financial dashboard plugins that you can use with QuickBooks or Zero, such as Futurely, Sift, Fathom. Um, but again, we don't want to encourage shiny object syndrome, which is totally a thing with software. Um, so at a bare minimum, get on an actual comprehensive paid accounting software. Good advice that probably many people, myself included, need to hear. Um, so this has been a really great conversation. I've been so excited to talk to you. Where can people find you, if uh, our listeners? Yep, I make it really easy. Uh, our website is yourcoresolution.com. Solution is singular. And up in the upper right-hand corner are links to all of our social media outlets. We're like everywhere, but if you go to the website, you can just see them all there. Perfect. That does make it easy. And we'll put it in the show notes too, so that everyone can find it. Um, well, thank you again so much, Chelsea. I've really enjoyed talking to you today. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. I hope we got some golden nuggets for your audience today. I think we really did. And to everyone listening, if you learned something or you enjoyed this episode, um, please share it with someone else who might get some value. So that is all another great episode of Solo De Facto, and we'll catch y'all next time. Thank you for joining us for today's show. For more information, visit our site at solodefacto.com. And remember, smash that like and subscribe button on your favorite podcast app. Solo De Facto is sponsored by Back Office Betty's, trusted virtual legal receptionist, helping you grow your firm one call, one chat, one new client at a time. To discover how they can help you grow your firm, head on over to backofficebetties.com and mention the Solo De Facto show for an exclusive listener offer.